We turn now to God's Word. We're going to be continuing in our series this morning on the book of Galatians. And we're up to uh, chapter 5, verse 16. This is a New Testament letter from Paul to these churches that are gathered in Galatia. And he's uh, laid out a lot of really beautiful theology and the, the reasons why <clears throat> the people of God can live in freedom. And now he kind of gives some practical uh, advice based on that, the gospel, based on that theology for how we're to live our lives and how we're to uh, you know, deny our own flesh and walk in step with uh, the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's pick it up at verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage... Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the places in this world that makes me the most happy is the Oregon coast. Uh, I remember going to Cannon Beach when I was four years old and made, you know, probably a couple dozen trips to the Oregon coast since then. Even when we lived far away, whenever we'd come home for Christmas, we'd try to make it over there for a day or a couple of days. And it's just a place that I feel at peace and at home, and I feel close to God. And when I think about what it means to walk with the Holy Spirit, to walk with God, to be with Him. I think about me and my wife walking along the beach, walking along the Oregon coast. I remember the, the first time we did that was probably when we were dating. Her, her mother rented a house in Yahats, and we went there and we walked the beach, and it was wonderful. It was amazing. We were in love. It was 40 degrees and raining. But, you know, none of that matters when you're young and in love and you're walking together. And then we, uh, we went, oh yeah, there we go, there's a picture. That's us on our honeymoon. Aww, come on, come on, you can say it, you can say it. But we just, you know, we stayed at Cannon Beach and we just walked, we just walked the beach, we just walked along each other. You can, you can take off that picture now. It's a, that, that doesn't need to stay up for the next, you know, half an hour. But... You walk down the beach and you see, you know, you see the footprints. You look behind you and, and you see them there. And, and, then, and, you know, now I fast forward 15 years and 
we, ho- we hold hands with our son, and he walks with us. And our daughter is strapped to my chest. And it's this amazing picture of, of faithfulness, of walking alongside each other, of walking in step with each other. That's what, that's, that's a picture. And when you, when you say yes to your spouse, you say no to everyone else, right? You, you know, you say no to the closest place of my heart, the closest place in my home, the closest place in my family belongs to one person. That's it. The, the, the old vows, you know, they say we, we're forsaking all others. Forsaking all others. Leaving everyone else in a way. The intimacy of our life, of our heart, of our home belongs to our spouse. And again, that's like this picture that Paul is giving us of the flesh and the spirit. Because when you say yes to Jesus... When you say yes to the Holy Spirit, you're saying no to the flesh. You're saying no, you're saying no to yourself in a way. Your own needs, wants, desires. You're taking yourself off the throne and putting Jesus on the throne. But what, what does that look like practically? How do we walk in step with the Spirit like Paul is, uh, is telling us here, is encouraging us. How do we walk by the Spirit so that we don't gratify all the, the desires of the flesh? Well, this morning I want to walk us through this text because in it you see that there is a why. There's a big, there's a big why. Why we'd want to walk with the Spirit. There's a big what. You know, what it is, what it means to say no to the flesh and say yes to the Holy Spirit. And there's a How? A very practical, this is how you do this. This is how you walk with the Spirit. So let's just go through this text and see the why and the what and the how. So first, I think we need to start with, we need to start with why. Because if you read the, this passage and you think about saying no to the flesh, you realize pretty quickly one thing. This is not how most people are living today. This is not... This is not normal. You know, enmity, strife, rivalries, division. A fair description of our political world today, of, you know, racial issues, a host of other things. They're marked by these things. Jealousy and envy. I mean, you're going to go home and you're going to turn on the television this afternoon and you're going to see a commercial Basically, all of Madison Avenue, all of marketing, all of commercial is trying to sell us stuff by making us jealous and envious. By helping us say, man, that person has a nicer, newer car, a bigger house, this toy, that thing. Gosh, my life would be so much better if I just bought that. And it's used against us. And most people fall for that. And then the the sexual stuff that Paul is talking about. I mean, committing yourself to either be celibate or be committed to one person for a lifetime, that's radically different than how most of the world is living. And it, it kind of sounds like he's just taking all the fun out of life, right? All the adventure, all the dynamism. I mean, he uses this word porneia, 
And we, that's our society today, right? We live in this like pornographic society and we think it's going to be amazing. We think it's going to be great. We think it's going to give us everything that we want, but it actually makes us miserable. And I'll come back to that and I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit. But it seems like if we, if, we, uh, if we look at what's going on in our world with these divisions, with this envy, with this jealousy, with this sexual immorality... It's not working. It's not working. As a culture, even personally, it doesn't give us joy. It's not how we're supposed to be living. And the only hope that we have, the only hope that we have is Christ, is Jesus, is the renewal of the gospel in our lives. Because the, the only way that our hearts can be changed is through, is through the gospel. That's our, that's our motivation. I mean, you don't, fits of rage, you don't white-knuckle your way through that. You don't work that out just by yourself. You love something more than you love your anger and your desire to be in control. You love Jesus more than you love the, the drunkenness or the pornography or the cheating or whatever your struggle is. You get a glimpse of all that Jesus has done for you. And it completely reorders your life. So why, why would we want to keep battling? Why would we want to keep telling our flesh no and yes to the Holy Spirit? Because the battle has already been won by Jesus. Paul has pointed us to that again and again. In, uh, in chapter 3, verse 13, it says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That Jesus took all of this stuff, all of the stuff that we're ashamed of, all the stuff that we've done that's not loving, that's not godly, and he's taken it upon himself. And it was nailed to the cross. And me, cursed person that I am, broken person that I am, sinful person that I am, I receive blessing from God because Jesus took my curse. He became the curse for me. And that, that makes Jesus our treasure. You know, when he was on this earth, he went around talking to everyone, what's, what's your treasure? What's the thing that you value the most in life? And when we get a glimpse of how much Jesus loves us and how much he's done for us, it changes everything. Because it makes us free. That's another big theme of this letter. Paul says that Jesus, through the gospel, has made us free. And so we're free not to do whatever we want to do, but we're free to live in step with with the Spirit. We're, you know, I talked about this last week. We're not like, we're not like Brooks from Shawshank Redemption. You know, we're not institutionalized. We know how to live outside of prison. We know how to live outside of the law. We know how to live in freedom because we're walking with the Holy Spirit. And so we don't, we don't go down the, these lists you know, either the fruits of the Spirit or this, what they call a vice list. We don't go down and say, yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes. We, we look at that list and we're humbled 
we're humbled because we know that none of us is perfect, because we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that we all need a Savior to rescue us from these things. The why, the why is God's great love for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. And there's all this, there's all this literature right now, there's all this big conversation about your why. What's your why? Why do you, why do you get up out of bed every morning? Why do you go to work? Simon Sinek wrote this book about find your why. Well, my why is Jesus has become a curse for me. Jesus has beat sin and death and hell for me. Jesus has gone to the cross for me. That's my why. So when I, when I see that, when he becomes my treasure and the thing that I love the most out of anything else, what can't he ask me to do? He says, Pastor Pete, deal with your anger. Deal with your envy. Deal with your jealousy. Deal with your strife. And he walks with me and works with me through that because he's my treasure. And my why is I return to him all the love that he showered on me. That's our why. Walk with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. What? What is it? What is walking with the Spirit? So we, we, have, to, we have to look at that. And he summarizes it in verse 24. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's kind of his summary. So we say a lot around here that we belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul, in life and in death. So if, that, if that's true, we have, we have crucified our flesh, just like our Lord, just like Jesus. We've put to death those things. We've put to death the selfishness. And they have been crucified. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that the battle is over. I mean, even Jesus was tempted, but without sin. It's like living between, you know, the end of, end of the battle and the declaration of peace. We're just living between the times. And as we, uh, as we sang in Sunday school this morning, soon and very soon, soon and very soon we're going to see the king. And all will see the king. And the battle will be over. We will not be able to sin. In the meantime, we struggle. We battle. We struggle and we battle and we crucify the flesh. It's, it's, uh, it's really amazing to see somebody get baptized like in a, in a pool or in a lake or something, to see them go all the way under the water. That's not always our practice here at this church, but it's amazing to see it because it reminds us that when we are baptized, we die with Christ and we rise with Christ. We, we're buried with Christ and we're raised with Christ. The, the way that one of my professors in college said it is, when you're baptized, you're drowned. You're drowned. And that old person, the old Pete Armstrong, the old desires and flesh is drowned. 
And what comes back is newness of life. Walking with the Spirit. The Spirit is alive. And walking by the Spirit means that we, that we reject the flesh. And then Paul gives us this list. And it's a list of about 15 things. And all of us you know, struggle or have struggled with, with one of these. And what, what's interesting is that a lot of them... Um, Paul's not picking on like pagans or ungodly people or the people outside the church. He's calling the church to recognize these things. You know, if you look at this list and really analyze it like I have this week, seven of them are, you know, irreligious. Seven of them are kind of the younger brother and the prodigal son doing the crazy stuff, the orgies, the drunkenness, the sexual immorality, all that stuff. And then eight of them, you know, I learned all about dissension and factions and envy growing up in church, you know? I love the local church, but I learned all about how to navigate it and the politics and the dissension and the jealousy and all that sort of thing. Good religious people. We struggle with this. And, it's, and we, shouldn't, we shouldn't kid ourselves about that. We, and we can't go down the list and say, well, I'm not struggling with this, I'm not struggling with this, I'm not struggling with this. That's just pride. That's just pride. And it's so, e- it's so easy to say, well, I'm not struggling with pornography right now. I've never cheated on my wife. But Jesus said, if you've looked at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery with them. Jesus said, if, if you have said, um, if you've insulted your brother... You've murdered him. And Jesus isn't doing that to try to make us feel bad or make us feel guilty or make us try to work our way back up to him. He's doing that so that we're, we're humbled, so that we say we need a savior. We can't do this on our own. We're broken people. So these, uh, this, this vice list, as I said before, is divided up into three categories. The first is, uh, is superstition. You know, in verse... In verse 20 there, he talks about idolatry, he talks about superstition, he talks about witchcraft, and just as a reminder, idolatry, idolatry is worshiping anything without Christ. It's worshiping anyone besides your creator. And we always, when we think about idolatry, we always think about the Old Testament and the golden calf that the Israelites made and do you really think that it was the calf that made God angry? It was that they were pouring their hearts out to this thing, is that they were worshiping it. It was that their, their affections didn't rest for the God that had rescued them, but their affections were on this thing. They wanted something right in front of them to worship. And we're tempted to say that, you know, idolatry ended 3,000 years ago. That it's just sort of an Old Testament thing because none of us has a golden calf above our fireplace. But sex and idolatry go together. Because every time you think you'll get from another person what only God can give you, that's idolatry. And idolatry and money go together. Because any time that you think, I'll get security and happiness, and deep joy from money or from possessions. That's idolatry. 
You're looking for something that only God can give you. And money and, and power and idolatry go together. Anytime that you take advantage of a coworker or you feel powerful, you feel like God, that's the idol. That's the idols of our age. That's what the Spirit calls us to, to walk away from. Next, Paul talks about these social sins, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, division, envy. The way we can think about this is that all of our relationships have a vertical component and a horizontal component. And when the vertical between us and God, when it's weak, we try to look for, to people for things that, that they can't give us. But when we draw closer to God, when we find Him, our identity, our strength, our purpose, our joy, then we can love people for, for what they are. We don't have to create these divisions or have this envy and jealousy. One of the commentators wrote, We are to worship God, love people, and use things. But too often we use people, love ourselves, and worship things. So if we don't get that, that vertical relationship right, we, we, we tend to use people. And then we discard them when they don't work for us anymore. And no wonder it results in all this division and all this hatred and all this strife. All of, this, all of these teachings are sandwiched in between Paul telling us to love our neighbor and then this beautiful list of the fruit of the Spirit. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at each one of these fruits. That's why I'm um, only going to talk about them briefly this morning. But we're going to look at all of these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and on and on. And how they apply to our lives today. And how the Spirit can develop them. Then last, um, Paul talks about the sexual sins. You know, he uses this word porneia. Um, Sexual immorality. And, you know, I would, I would love to preach a sermon through the Song of Solomon and just unpack all of this because I think it's so important to understand what the Bible teaches and how God created us to live. But the, uh, the translation of, of that is, uh, is found from Eugene Peterson. You know, he says that porneia is repetitive, loveless, cheap, sex. Repetitive, loveless, and cheap, th- cheap sex. So, like I said, this is, only, this is only a snippet. And crucifying our flesh, yes, it has to do with our sexual desires, but it's also so much more than that, as Paul talks about. But I want to just share a couple of things, because the way that our culture approaches sexuality is so far away from what God designed. That we sort of think, you know, we think, well, if we're not cheating on our spouse or our, or our boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, if, uh, if we don't have, like, more than ten partners over our lifetime, then, you know, we're doing pretty good. Whereas God's, God's design for it is so much better than that. And it's so good. So even, um, even this guy, Russell Brandt, he understands how far we've fallen as a culture from, uh, from what God intends. I have a picture of him because he's not that famous. He's kind of a funny comedian actor. But I, um, you know, you guys know this guy, Russell Brandt. So he, he, uh, he showed up in 
this book about Augustine, very interesting, by, uh, by Jamie Smith from, from Calvin College. And he says this, Bran looked at his sexual hunger anew when he broke free of other addictions in his life. He confessed to the isolation he experienced in his chase. He said, and this is a quote from an from a interview, you acquire all these wonderful experiences and encounters, but within it, this kind of ongoing seam of loneliness, which is unignorable. You're having all these experiences, you're doing what the culture tells you to do, and yet you feel lonely and disconnected. And then uh, I continue with the quote. And also, this is the thing. When you get the things your culture tells you you should be doing, and you experience them, now you know you can stop chasing the carrot because you've had a bite out of it. And it's like, hold on. This is BS, although he didn't say BS. It's a hard one to learn because there's a degree of pleasure to be had. But it takes a while to recognize the emotional cost on me, the spiritual cost on other people, the fact that it's preventing me from becoming a father, from becoming a husband, from settling, from becoming rooted, from becoming actually whole, from becoming a man, and from becoming connected. Now, when Russell Brandt and the Apostle Paul are saying the same thing, I'm about to listen. Because that's God's truth speaking through somebody today. So let me just share three things, and then we're going to close out. First, the challenge. You know, the challenge. I believe, I believe God's word, and I want to stand on that. That living the, living the, the pornea life, everything outside of, of marriage, that, that's not living in step with the Spirit. Paul says that. We have to believe and we have to remember that our flesh has been crucified. It's been crucified. And we've been given new life. And we, we have to have help in that. You know, we have to confess that to God and receive his grace. Remember that it's always available for us and pour it out. And we actually need other followers of Jesus to walk with us in this. We have to be honest with people about the struggles we have, that we're all human that we're fallen. Because what Russell Brand is saying is true. It has an emotional cost. You kind of think, oh, my pornography, it's not hurting anybody. It's just my problem. No, it's holding you back. He's saying that. And Paul's saying that. And Jesus is saying that. It's got an emotional cost to you. It's got a spiritual cost to the people that are around you. Because God is the source of wholeness. God is the source of connection. He's the one that gives it to us. And he's created us to live in a certain way. And that's that's undeniable. I mean, it's built into creation. I'm not going to do an anatomy lesson. And I was never good at anatomy. But you can see how this works. Men and women were built for each other. That's how God created us. So God didn't design us to live in some fantasy world. In our own imagination, God didn't design us to have sex with our computer, have sex with our phone. That's not what it's for. God gave us this desire for each other, for pleasure and for procreation. It's an amazing gift, but it's like fire. It can destroy us in the wrong context. And the Bible is saying, what what Peter is saying, what Paul is saying here, 
is that sex where there's not a lifelong commitment, when there's not that trust and that safety and that respect and that communication, that's not how God designed us to live. But in the covenant with God, it's one of the joys of life. And God gave it to us as a gift. So second... First, the challenge of God's word, the challenge to let go of that old life, to say no to our flesh, to walk with the Spirit. Second, is to listen to our desires. Listen to them. What are your desires, your sexual desires, what are they pointing to? I would wager that they're pointing to more than what another person can give you. More than just a human relationship. I remember what uh, G.K. Chesterton said. He said, every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Wow. So the modern translation of that would be, every man or woman who clicks on that website is looking for God. We're looking for God. We've got a desire for an even greater connection. Spiritual, physical, everything. And we get that from our creator and we get that in relationship to our creator. That's a conversation I want to have. When someone comes to me and talks to me about their addiction or their unwanted sexual behavior, that's the conversation we have. What do you think that desire is for? Where do you think it's from? Could it be that that's how we all ended up here? Sorry, we don't want to think about our parents having sex, but that's how we all ended up here, right? God gave us those desires so that the human race could continue and procreate. And, unlike other strands of Christianity, I think he gave it to us to have fun within marriage, to enjoy each other, to experience that. So listen to our desires. Last, grace abounds. Please, 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 don't think that I'm up here saying I have it all together saying that I have it figured out, saying that I've never done any of these things, saying that I'm, that I'm perfect. We are in this battle together, and we need each other, and grace abounds. God's grace is available for all of us, and that's what prompts us to walk with the Spirit. In the, in the fall of 1998, I was introduced to a term called responsible freedom. I was away at college for the first time, at Calvin College, and that was their big thing. I mean, we were living without our parents. We were living in the dorm. There was hundreds of beautiful, tall, blonde Dutch women everywhere. I had never seen them before in my life. Wow. And yet, this responsible freedom, I couldn't even have a girl in my room on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Responsible freedom. And if I did have a girl in my room... The door had to be ajar. Wow, wow, wow. That's responsible freedom for you. Would I do the same thing to my, you know, 18-year-old, 19-year-old? Yes, I would. But one time I was coming back from class, like 11 in the morning, and I caught my roommate and his girlfriend in bed together. Fortunately, they weren't actually in the act, so it was only mildly embarrassing and not terribly embarrassing. But the, the question looking back on that now is, was my gossip about them, was my judgmentalism toward them, was my, even if I'm honest, my jealousy, 
man, he gets to do that, he doesn't even have a guilty conscience like I would. Was that a better sin than their sex outside of marriage? Was that a worse sin? Am I less in need of God's grace through my gossip and my judgmentalism and my envy? We all stand in need of God's grace and God's healing. Jesus said to the ones that wanted to stone the woman caught in adultery, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. But he also said to the woman, go and sin no more. So how do we live in that beautiful tension? Go and sin no more. The way I think of it is as a bullseye. That's how the Bible talks about sin sometimes. Hitting, you know, missing the mark. Our, our, our desires, our anger, our sexuality, our dissension, all these sorts of things. They're like a bullseye. And nobody's hitting the bullseye perfectly. But can we, can we encourage each other? Can we walk with each other? Can we challenge each other when we need to challenge each other? So that we move closer to the bullseye rather than further away. When the world hears judgment from the church, it goes further away. But when the world hears Jesus, hears grace, hears truth, they're drawn in. We are called to live in our new identity. Augustine, Augustine, we would call him in his teenage years and in his 20s, we would call him today a sex addict. He had lots and lots of sex. He was very promiscuous. He fathered a child. And he said some amazing things. He said, I was in love with love. That's all he wanted to do was be in love. He, uh, he said, give me chastity, but not yet. Another one of his wonderful sayings. But he read, he read when he was 31 years old, he heard the voice of a child that said, pick up and read. And he picked up a Bible. And he did the thing that they tell us never to do. He went, he bang, just opened it right up. And where did it fall to? Romans 3.13, where Paul writes to the church in Rome exactly what he's writing to Galatia. Crucify the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. Leave, leave all that behind And he was convicted. He was cut to his heart. And he became a Christian. And he broke up with his girlfriend. And he walked alongside with Jesus. God taught him about grace. And you know what? Would he have ever been called the doctor of grace without his sexual struggles? The man knew about grace. And what the devil wanted to destroy him with, the Holy Spirit brought redemption. And brought grace. Because God never wastes anything. He never wastes anything. When we walk with the Spirit, when we say no to the flesh, He redeems every area of our life. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Lord, May your timeless word speak to us today. Speak to us in our struggles, in our desires. Um, speak to us in our, in our anger and our fear, in our envy and in our jealousy.
Lord, we pray that uh, your word would convict us this morning, that we would do the thing that you call your people to do again and again, and that is to repent and to believe, to really trust you, even when we don't understand it, even when we're not sure why, to just trust and believe that you know what is best for us. God, show us what it means in every area of our life to walk with the Spirit, to walk with you like two, like two lovers walking down a beach, at peace, knowing your kindness, knowing your grace, knowing your favor, knowing your blessing, knowing your great faithfulness for us, God. Walk with us through our mountaintops and our valleys, Lord. Thank you for your promise that you never leave us or forsake us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.